we're going to talk about matters of the heart. I'm going to start out in Jeremiah chapter 7, and we're going to move through um, Mark chapter 12, some of the Gospels. And I want to talk to you about this issue of the heart and how critical your heart is and how critical my heart is, especially in the times in, 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 in uh, society in which we live. I, I heard about a story about a man who was, who was struggling. He was struggling with anxiety. He was struggling with some stress. He was, he was struggling with some stress-related things going on in his life. And so this man went to his doctor, and his doctor looked at him and says, you know what you're dealing with? You're dealing with, with stress and anxiety, so here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to play golf. And so this man looked at him and says, oh, doc, that would be like horrible. That would be like awful. I mean, I've, I've played golf before, and golf gives me anxiety, and golf gives me anger, and golf gives me stress. And I, doc, I cannot believe you'd recommend golf. It would not reduce stress. It would give me stress. The doctor says, oh, wait a minute. I, I didn't completely explain. He said, I, I don't want you to play golf like you've normally been playing golf. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out to the golf course, and I want you to take your clubs, but I, I want you to play with an imaginary ball. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to get up there on the tee box or on the fairway, wherever. I want you to swing the club, and I want you to imagine that imaginary ball going exactly where you want that ball to go. And then I want you to walk up to that ball, and I want you to hit it again. And so the, the guy says, well, you know, I'm pretty stressed. i got a, a lot of anxiety. I have nothing to lose. You know what? I, I'll try that. So he goes out to the golf course. He gets to the first tee. He gets to the tee box. He pulls out of his, his driver. He swings. It's an amazing shot, 250 yards right down the middle, the middle of the fairway. And the guy says, you know what? This isn't too bad. He walks down the fairway. He finds out where the ball probably is, where he thinks it is because it's an imaginary ball. Pulls out an eight iron. He swings. He hits that imaginary ball. It hits, hits near the green, rolls onto the green. He says, this is amazing. He walks up to the green, and he two putts. He makes par. He says, you know what, this isn't so bad. So he goes and plays the next hole. On hole number three, there's a guy at the, at the club that was watching him. So he walks over and says, hey, buddy, what are you doing? He says, oh, you don't understand. He says, my doctor, to relieve stress and anxiety, told me to come and play golf and play with it like an imaginary ball, and, and, um, and it's working. And so this guy says, you know what, I honestly, I hate golf. He says, it gives me stress and gives me anxiety. Do you mind if I join you? So he says, no, come on. And so they, they started playing together, and they had their imaginary ball, and they're making it down the fairway. And so they're enjoying the weather. They're enjoying each other's company. They're enjoying the scenery. They're enjoying the conversation. They're enjoying everything until they get to the 18th fairway, and they realize they're tied. <laughs> All of a sudden, one guy pulls out an 8-iron, hits it, and says, Look at that. You're not going to believe it. Look at it. It's hit the green. It's rolling. It's rolling to the cup. It went in. It went in. This is unbelievable. I cannot believe this. To which the other guy looked at him and says, you hit my ball. You hit my ball. It has my mark on it. That's a penalty. I win. You know, you know there's something about, there is something about life that it just seems like we're just so angry, or it seems like we're so competitive, or it seems like we have anxiety, it seems like we're so stressed. See, the Bible talks a lot about this issue of the heart, the attitude of the heart. When you start, when you start looking at the issue of the heart, you realize, like just recently, the Associated Press reported that 38% of all of the people who die, die of a heart-related disease, disease brought, up, brought on by hypertension or high blood pressure or anxiety or stress. Uh, I mean, when, when you just look at the world and you look at people, you realize that we are stressed, anxiety, have anxiety, and we're just riddled with stress and anxiety and tension. 
I mean, many years ago, many years ago, I, I had the opportunity to, to go ice fishing. I've only gone ice fishing twice. That was my first and my last time. Uh, and, and I went out to what was once like a beautiful lake that it was warm and you could swim or boat or whatever. And I go to this lake, lake and it's like hard and it's cold and it's frigid. And there, there's n it seems like there is no life there. And so you could, you could drive a truck out on a lake that was once soft and, and you could swim in and you drive out and the, the, the water is hard and you have to drill to catch fish and, and, um, it, and you have to drill again because you drill a hole and soon, sooner or later the hole hardens and, and, and gets hard. And many times that's, that's our heart. That if, if we're not careful, our heart was once was soft and what was fun and what was for recreation, we're now kind of cold and we're now kind of hard and we have stress and we ha have, have anxiety. How much is this like our hearts? The man, why is it? Why is it where we start out as children, we start out young and our, our hearts are soft? But it seems like to me that if we're not careful, the older we get, the more hardened or more calloused our heart gets. How can two people start off in the Christian life together and, and one's, one's love for Christ and Christianity, it, 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 it like deepens and it grows more and more every day. But the other, the other one becomes hard and it becomes cold and it becomes angry and it becomes judgmental. I mean, the Bible would talk about this difference between discipline and drifter that, that one was like discipline and this disciplined person made it their goal to be more and more like Christ and, and they had some discipline in their life as a result of that. But maybe the other was more like a, a drifter and says, you know what, I, I want to get there and I, I really want to be more like Christ, but, but there was no discipline in their life and they never grew closer to him. This last week in life journaling, if you life journal with us, if you don't know anything about that, that's just a systematic way that we read through the Bible in a year. And we allow the Bible, we allow God's word to speak to us. And, and so this last week we came to a passage, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, and here's what it says. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the word. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews says is you and I have to be careful because drifting comes natural to us. I mean, it's hard to be disciplined, right? I mean, it's hard to put some things in place. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to help us understand is that naturally, if we're not careful, we will drift. We will quit reach, reading God's word. We will keep actually worshiping. We will quit all of those things and we'll drift away from it. It does not mean that you'll lose your salvation, but it means this, that the attitude of your heart begins to change. I mean, I, with my Bible software, I just did a quick word search of how many times does the word heart appear in the Scripture, and the word heart appears in Scripture over a thousand times, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Jesus wrote about this, or Jesus said this in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, uh, 28. He said this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he had answered them well, ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? In verse 29, Jesus says, Jesus said, the most important is, hear, O God, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I think it is no accident the order in which Jesus placed these words. I, I, I don't think, the fact is, I don't think there's anything in Scripture of accident. And I think Jesus was very, very intentional, saying if you and I, if you, if you want to know what the greatest commandment is, 
is to love your love the Lord your God with all of your heart. In other words, what Jesus is saying, it starts with the heart. It starts with the matters of the heart. It starts with the attitude of the heart. When, when, when you start, when your heart is right, it seems like everything falls into place. The body and the mind and the soul and all of those other things. I mean, in other words, it's your, your heart that gives life to the body. In other words, our central focus to be should be to the heart. The heart was what Scripture says. The heart is what tells us who we are. And, and God, listen, God is more concerned with your heart condition. God is more concerned with my heart condition than the condition, than even the condition of your body. I mean, your heart is, is, like, is like a gauge. It's like, a, it's like a water gauge on the side of a, of a water tank that reflects how much liquid is in that tank. And, and our heart, what Jesus says over and over and over, our heart is like the spiritual gauge that reflects who we are, that re reflects our relationship to God. And the Bible tells us that our heart reflects our desires, our intentions, our faith, our will, our behavior, our words, and our motives. And listen, when your physical heart, I mean, we know this, right? When our physical heart has problems, then an angiogram is done to determine the, if surgery is required. I was talking to a, a doctor here a while back, and, and he's a cardiologist, and, and he was telling me, he said, you know, we just live in a time when, when heart disease is just rampant and the heart disease is so prevalent. I think I'm going to go ahead and schedule one of those whether I need it or not just to see. I mean, when you start looking at this, it's important for us to evaluate the heart. And so in life, this is what Jesus says, in life, experiences can happen to you to where you can harden your heart. I mean, when, when, when I just list out some things for me personally, maybe this doesn't relate to you, but for me personally, the things that, that can harden my heart is, is some of the things is like this. My, my heart can get hard living in a fallen world. And seeing some of the things on the news and some of the things that we hear and some of the things that we see and the hate and the anger and the, the, the carnage and all of the things that go on, the broken relationships, just the hurt and the pain, the anger, the rage and all of those things. I mean, some of it is if you and I are not careful and we focus too much on this world, our heart can become cynical and it become hard to where we, you know what, to where we can come to a place and believe, you know what, we can never penetrate this world. We can never change this world. We can never really affect this world. Another thing that if you're not careful that can harden your heart is just preoccupation. Preoccupation, whether it's hobbies or whether it's work or whether it's relationships, to where you come to that place in your life to where you believe, guess what, M performing at work or at hobbies or any of those other things can give me satisfaction, can give me fulfillment. And listen, I need to tell you that only God can fulfill you. And only God can meet your deepest needs. And another thing, if you're not careful, that can harden your heart is just busyness. To where we just get to that place to where we're so busy that, you know what, we no longer really have time for, for relationships and we no longer have time for friends. We no, we no longer really have time for church uh, uh, we no longer really have time for Bible study or life groups or any of those other things. And as a result of that, our heart will become hard. I mean, listen, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 7, 24 says, this is so amazing to me. Verse 24, here's what the scripture says. He says, he's talking to a nation, he's talking to a group of people. And he says, but they did not, did not obey or incline their ear but walked in their own counsels and their stubbornness of their evil, evil hearts. That's just another way of saying a hard heart. Watch this. And went backward and not forward. Can I tell you, your hard heart can make you go backward and not forward? You can develop a heart that is so hard, that is so judgmental, that is so angry, that it can make you in your spiritual life, in your spiritual growth, it can affect you to the place to spiritually you may go backward instead of going forward. 
See, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I, 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 I'm a list person. And so I have a few lists just so that I know some things are indicators in my life. And some of the ways that I know that I'm developing a hard heart is when, when, it, when it's hard for me to love my neighbor as myself. I mean, Jesus basically said that. Jesus says, you know what, if you have a hard heart, you're not going to be able to love your neighbor as yourself. Fact is, you're going to judge your neighbor. Fact is, you're not going to be able to love your neighbor at all. Fact is, you're, you, just, you just become hardened to that. I mean, when, when I know that my heart is becoming hard because Jesus in, uh, said this, Jesus, whenever Jesus talked about a hardness of heart, he talked about it. It used a Greek word of water becoming ice. In other words, he was saying a hard heart doesn't happen all at once. It happens slowly over time where the situations or events or things that happen. And when I'm developing a hard heart, I become judgmental and I become angry easily and I become cynical about life. And, and the Bible for me no longer is like a living letter. letter. It becomes like this textbook and, and prayer is, is like a job. I mean, I'm, I'm prayed to pray, pray so I got to pray. And so prayer is something like something you have to do and it becomes like a job and not something that a privilege and something that you get to do and fellowship with others. Listen, something about a hard heart, if you're like me, is this. A hard heart sometimes will cause you to isolate from other people because you believe that they're going to hurt you or they're going to harm you. Or it just takes way too much effort. And God says that I, I can take that heart of stone and I can turn it into flesh. And I can take a hard heart and I can soften it. And, and I think a lot of times what we're dealing with in the culture and the society in which we live is we are dealing with a lot of people with just a hard heart. And so God wants to soften your heart. So I've used the word soften and made an acrostic out of it. And so that is how you know this message is anointed. Because that like never happens with me. I mean, I, I don't know what it is, but I'll decide to do that. And, and I can get all of the letters except for one. And I'm like, ah, oh, it was so close. And so it just like never works out for me. And so, but this weekend it like worked out. So here, so we're just going to walk through the word soften so it's easy for me to remember. Hopefully it's easy for you to remember. The first thing is this, that if you're going to, if you're going to, uh, soften a hard heart, the first thing is this, is you in life, you have to select what is valuable and what is worthless. And in other ways, maybe to say that, you got to select what is worthwhile and what is worthless. And if you do not realize this, I'm telling you, if you do not evaluate these things in your life, then you will not take care of your heart. I mean, you will, you will spend your life, and I, I've been around a lot of people at the end of their life. And I've talked to a lot of people, whether it was in hospice or whether it was in a hospital room or it was in their home. And they start talking about their life and they start saying, you know what, all these years I invested in things that really were not valuable. They're really not worthwhile. I mean, at, at time, I thought they were, and I thought they were pretty important. But, but you know, as I look, well, Paul said this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has, has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting as all as garbage, so that, I could, so that I could gain Christ. I mean, for me, it is just tragic just to think that we can spend our whole life, we can spend, we can spend our whole life on things that have no value. We can spend our life on things that were never really worthwhile. The fact is, they were worthless. When you, when you add them up, they had no they, they had no. They didn't count for eternity, in other words. And see, it's really dangerous that we can. I mean, it's just so easy to give your, yourself time to things that really don't matter. And many, 
many years ago, many years ago when I was living in Texas, I, I needed a hobby. Uh, I've always lived an unbalanced life, and so it's been hard for me to find a hobby. And so I had a friend that was into muscle cars. He, he restored muscle cars. And so he was so passionate about it, it, all of a sudden I believed, you know what, I'm good at that. I can do that. And so I went out. He went with me. We bought a car. We stripped it down. We pulled the engine. We pulled the seats. We did everything. <laughs> and you know what, that car was like, it was like everything to me. I mean, I, 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 mean, I was careful. I, I wanted to put a cover on that car even when it was in the garage. I mean, I mean that car was like everything to me. And then something happened because I, I never thought, it's still an old car, right? Because I know some of you are going to ask. It was a, a 1969 uh, uh, Chevelle, uh, uh, 390. But anyway, that's all. That's all the information I'm going to give you. It was a great car. And you know what I found myself? I found myself always working on that car until I hated that car. Until there came a point when I just put that car in the garage and I didn't even drive it for like years until someone was walking by and said, hey, would you sell that car? And I says, I says yes, in Jesus' name, it's yours. And I didn't want that car. And I thought, how amazing. I poured so much into that car and I came to this place to realize, you know what? It wasn't as valuable as I thought. So the, the first thing is this, is we need to select what is, what is, what is valuable and what is wor worthless or worthwhile. We, we need to understand what is valuable and, 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 and what is worthless. And we may need to make that determination. The O and, and soften is this. We have to come to the place we openly admit a hard heart, and we have to ask God to soften it. Have you ever, have you ever developed a hard heart for the, with the people you live with in your home? A spouse? You know, no, no testimonies, no elbows, nothing like that. You ever, you ever developed a hard heart to a, a group of people? I mean, interesting thing, Deuteronomy chapter 8, God has a, has a conversation with Moses, and he led, it says that he led Moses into the desert for 40, 40 years to test him and to know what was in his heart. The deal is God knew what was in Moses' heart. God wanted Moses to know what was in his heart. God wanted Moses to come to the place and to realize this is in my heart. I, I've got like a hard heart. Listen, you and I, we have to know the condition of our heart. And we have to admit it. We have to ask God to soften it. I mean, the Bible says, in fact, as the book of James says, is the Bible is like a mirror to us. It reflects the condition of our heart back to us. That's many times why some people don't like to read Scripture, right? Because it can be convicting. I mean, the Scripture says, Psalm 139, 23, I think this is probably one of the most dangerous prayers in Scriptures. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and leads me along the path of everlasting life. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. In other words, if we come to that place and we realize, you know what, I, I, I think I do have a hard heart. I think I am hard-hearted in this area. You ask God to soften it. The, the F in the word soften is, is this. Forget about the things that you have no control over. There's a lot of things that the news reports, there's a lot of things that we see on TV that, you know what, absolutely, we probably have no control over. And so we have to come to that place that we have to forget the things that we have no control over. A lot of times we worry about things in life that we have no control over. fact is, counselors and psychologists tell us most of our stress comes from worrying about stuff we can't change, worrying about stuff that we have no control over. Worry sometimes for some people is worrying about things that you did in your past or what the future holds. And listen, 
Neither one of those that you can change. And when you talk to counselors and you talk to psychologists, they say those are the two biggest categories people worry about. Things that are in their past, things they've done, things they've said, actions they've had, are things about the future. What does the future hold? Fact is, psychologists and counselors say only 3% of what we worry about we really have any control over. One man once said this. One man once said, worrying is celebrating a crisis in advance. It may never happen. And then there's some people that are so locked in their Christian walk and they can't move on because they really wonder whether they've been forgiven in their past. And a lot of times they're like stuck in their Christian life and they're wondering, am I good enough? And let me just answer that question right now. You're not good enough and neither am I. That's why Jesus came and that's why he died on the cross because none of us, me included, could not live a perfect enough life. Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, man, Paul, Paul, before he became a Christian, he was, he was like killing Christians. He was finding out where they were, you know, he was getting the membership roles out of churches and he was going into their home. And he's like killing, he's killing Christians. He's doing everything he can to destroy the work of God. Fact is, the first deacon, Stephen, Paul's the one that, that ordered the hit on him. Paul's the one that gave the approval for them to, to, to stone Stephen. They killed him. This is not a minor character flaw, right? And yet, the Apostle Paul meets Christ. And he says, you know what, I, because of the cross, I put the past behind me and I press on. I just press on to the future. Listen, I'm telling you, God is not as much concerned about where you've been as far as, as much as where you're going. Because he has totally, completely forgiven you. The T and soften is this, is you have to come to the place to where you, where you just, you tune in to a consistent time with, with God. In other words, you... You worship when the foundations have been shaken. You worship when you have anxiety. You worship when, you, when you're stressed. You worship when you feel like the world is falling apart. And guess what? You worship when you're busy. And when it's time to go to church and it's time to worship, you worship Him. And even though you're busy, you serve in ministry and you're, you're in life groups and your relationships... Man, I, I'm telling you, I, I've been a Christian for over 30 years, and there's no other way to grow than, than by spending time with God and spending time with Christians and spending time in His Word. And if, if you decide to spend time, if you decide that, that taking care of your heart is worthwhile, then the only way to grow is to spend time with God and spend time with other believers. I mean, in, in this area of spending time with God and others, are you disciplined? Are you a drifter? This is same is true for our, our, our relationships. If, listen, if you want to have healthy relationships around you, you got to spend time with people, right? And one thing that we know, growth, growth, growth takes time. When I was in high school, I had a good friend, lifelong friend, uh, Phil Barrett. And Phil got into this phase in high school that he wanted to work out and he wanted to have muscles and all of that other stuff. And so Phil joined uh, a gym there in Tyler, Texas, where we lived. And so he realized he needed a workout buddy. He needed someone to spot him. And so he saw me in school. He's like, hey, would you come work out with me? And, you know, I, I never had a desire to work out and exercise in, in a gym. But because we were friends, I said, sure, I'll go with you. I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so I, I go with Phil. And Phil, I mean, we're close. We're still close to this day. He was a really, really nice guy. 
outside of the gym, and we go to the gym, and he turns into this animal. He's like screaming at me, more weights, more reps, do this, do that. And I'm like, this is like my first time, and this is not fun. And what happened to fun, Phil? And now all of a sudden you're like animal, Phil, and you're yelling, and you're, you're like screaming at me. And I thought this was supposed to be fun. And so we finished working out, and Phil says, hey, i got to go. And I says, I'm going to the locker room. I, I can't make it to my car. I'm just going to the locker room. And so Phil says, okay, well, whatever you do, do not lay down. Keep, you know, I mean, there's flat benches in there. I know you. You may be tempted to lay down. Whatever you do, do not lay down. And, and so I says, okay. So I go into the locker room, and I was tired, and so I, I laid down on the bench. But an hour later, I decided, you know what? I need to get up. And what I realized, all the strength out of my upper body had, like, drained out of me. And, and I finally sit up, and then I realize I cannot get my hands and arms over my head to get dressed. Listen, let me just tell you something. A men's gym is not exactly the best place for another man to ask a man to help him get dressed. <laughs> it just creeps some people out. And so, you know what? I was so thankful we didn't start with lower body. I'm like, I would, I'd just have to army crawl all the way to the gym, to the car. And so I finally made it out of the car, and out to the car. And here's, here's what I learned. Well, I learned a lot of things, that uh, lifting weights was not valuable to me. That's what I learned. That is not worthwhile to me. But the other thing that I learned is that, you know what? It, it takes discipline. It takes dith- discipline uh, for growth physically, and it takes discipline spiritually as well i mean listen if you get consistent and get along with god your focus will shift and it will shift from from you to god because you know a symptom of a hard heart it's all about me it's all about me around the house it's all about me or my profession it's all about my comfort it's all i mean a hard heart will keep you from seeing anybody else and seeing anybody else's needs i mean jesus said this about about Matthew chapter 6, about a consistent time, he said, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, he said this, he said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may complete, equip for every good work. So the E in soften is enlist. In other words, enlist the Enlist the help of, of others. There, there's, there's two words in Scripture that I've always been interested in. It's, it's the phrase, it's the two words, one another. There's 56 one another's in Scripture. Probably this fall, finally, I'm, I think I'm going to preach a series on just the one another's of Scripture. Scripture talks about the one another's. We're pray for one another, we're minister to one another, we're serve one another, we're to forgive one another, we're to encourage one another, we're to support one another, we're to com- comfort one another. There's, a, there's an interesting word, it's a, it's a Hebrew word, it's hased, H-E-S-E-D. Hased means this, hased, hased means kindness and mercy. It means covenant faithfulness, it means faithfulness over a lifetime. And, and when we have hased in our relationships, fact is, um, a, a word that it, it relates to in the Greek is a word where we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that says love never fails. It's in relationships and in life, it is hard for Satan to sow hatred in when hased is present. When we really have hased in relationships and we have a hard heart or we have a soft heart, we actually listen to each other's hurts. 
we actually listen to each other's pains. I mean, we're able to like put ourselves in their shoes and with their loss and their hurt and their frustration and their pain. When listen, when you have a hard heart, you you it is impossible to do that because your pain is screaming so loud you can only see your hurt, you can only see your pain. We're able to empathize with people when there's really hesed in relationships, and we're able to see things from from their perspective and and from from their life. We we we're able to 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 let them see that we're concerned about them. Jesus five uh, James five sixteen says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another. There's a couple of them right here that you may be healed. That's prayer of a righteous person has great power, as it is working. Listen, this is why life groups is so important is why it's so important spending real time with believers that can speak into your life. The last thing in, in soften is the letter N, and it means this, or it is this. It says nourish intimacy with God. Just come to the place to where you can nourish intimacy with God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. In other words, problems are going to come. Storms are going to come. Difficulties are going to come. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. And James says this. James talks the blessing in Scripture. The blessing of Scripture is not the reading of Scripture. It is the doing of Scripture. It is appropriating that Scripture in your life. That's where the blessing comes from Scripture. And he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In other words, what Jesus said is there is no shortcut. There is no shortcut to a soft heart. It's the difference between a, being disciplined and being a drifter. When I was watching the news of the, the situation in Dallas, not a lot of the leaders who spoke made a lot of sense or brought a lot of comfort until Chief David Brown got to the podium and began to speak. And all of a sudden, David Brown spoke a word into a group of people. In fact, is there's articles being written about that man right now, USA Today, Washington Post, New York Times, about the peace and the comfort, and he spoke a word. He understood that we need to grieve before we try to solve problems. He understood what it means to mourn and minister to a group of people into a police force. All of a sudden, I wanted to know more about David Brown, so I asked the Google about Chief David Brown, and Chief David Brown was a graduate of Dav Dallas Baptist University. He's a believer, and he's very devout in his faith. And in 2010, while he was still police chief, his son committed a robbery, got in a gunfight with police, Dallas police. And his son took the life of a police officer, and the police officers took his son's life. And David Brown went through deep brokenness. And David Brown in 2010 stood at the mic and says, I don't even know how to react. I've lost a son, and I've lost a police officer. And it was out of that that he could speak into a group of people with compassion, with empathy, and minister to them. I'm telling you, if you develop a hard heart in life, God will never be able to use you. You'll just be one of those judgmental, critical, 
Christian talking about what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the government, what's wrong with society. But God has called us to have a soft heart and to speak light and truth into a dark world. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? What is he saying to you as a result of his, of his word? Jesus is the one, and I read the verse, Jesus is the one that says that the foolish man, the foolish woman, will hear his word and, and do nothing. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? You're disciplined, you're drifting. You're giving your life to things that are valuable, that are worthwhile. It's just about temporary stuff. Stuff that's just worthless. Stuff one day that's just going to burn up and not last into eternity. Do you have a hard heart? Or do you have a soft heart? Whatever God is saying to you as a result of this message, would you just be obedient to him? And just respond. Whatever your next step is, would you just do that? Whether it's admitting a hard heart, whether it's having a conversation with someone. Maybe you're here this evening and say, you know what, I, I just need prayer. I mean, I'm going through a season of my life and and I need prayer. And you don't need to be embarrassed by that because you know what? Everybody in this room needs prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. The Apostle Paul asked for prayer a lot. Jesus Christ asked for prayer before he went to the cross. So you don't need to be embarrassed by that. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a few minutes. After I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayers, we stand up together. Would you just step out, begin making your way down to the front? There's going to be people walking with you, so you're not going to walk alone. You don't have to be a member of Fellowship of the Rockies. This is not about membership. This is about ministry. But if you're in that place in life and you say, you know, I just need specific prayer, whether it's for a health issue, a financial issue, a relational issue, we want to pray for you. So you come after I pray and we stand. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, we just thank you for just the power of your name and the power of your word. Father, would you just draw this church very closer to you? Would we be able to evaluate if our hearts become cold, if our hearts become hard and cynical and judgmental? Can we only see our pain? Can we only see our difficulties? Or can we see the hurt and the pain of country and people around us. Father, I ask that you would just speak to those that need prayer. Would they, they just be obedient and respond to you? And result of that, would, would they find comfort? Would they find encouragement? Would they find support? Because you've commanded us as a church that we're to love one another. We're to comfort one another. We're to pray for one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to support one another. with the comfort that you have given us. So, Father, we just look forward to what you're going to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.